This time on Chew Diligence, Chef Sean Brady of Brady's Public House and Conroy's. Growing up in Ireland, his determination to get in the kitchen. One day they opened the door a little too much. I could see some bags of onions and carrots and stuff in the back, and I just looked at the guy and says, I'll peel those for free. Just, just let me in. The dishes he's tasted around the world. Some of the best food I've ever had in my life, and I've, again, I've, eat, I've been lucky enough to eat in some of the top restaurants throughout the country and throughout the world, um, was street cart pad thai. And I still think back on it 17, 18 years ago, and I still have vivid memories of it, and I still wish I could get that again. The journey that brought him to Kansas City and the care he brings to his recipes, like his grandmother's scones, a customer favorite. Yeah, again, you'll notice the difference in making scones month by month. Mm. Like, it does change. It's just the moisture in the air. Do you have great memories of your grandma making these for you? Yeah, it was kind of... My grandmother was probably the one person in my family that did say to me, you should do what you want to do. Welcome to this episode of Due Diligence, Lindsay Shively in the 41 Action News Podcast Studio with Jill Silva. Hi, Jill. Hey, Lindsay. How are you? Good. And uh, as we are taping, some big news came out in the Kansas City food world today. Yes, the James Beard semifinalists came out. Do we want to know who they are? Or, Lots can, you, of good or ones. can you guess? I read the list. We combed through to make sure we didn't miss anybody. Lots of lots of repeats from last year, which is exciting. Yes, absolutely. Michael they, Corvino. Michael Corvino, uh, who has been on the podcast very recently. Yes. Uh, Linda Doerr, who we'd love to get on the podcast, but hasn't worked out yet. Uh, Nicholas Gellner, another one we'd like to get on. Uh, Vaughn Good, who is also on and That's opened right. in July. And yes, I do work with him. <laughs> and uh, Megan <laughs> Gerald. there. Absolutely. Megan uh, Gerald's from Rye for Pastry. Yes. She's been on our She's podcast. She's been on and uh, Taylor Petron of uh 1900 Barker, who, and again, Lawrence. we need to get him on. And he's getting ready to open a donut shop this summer. So I heard, yeah. And look at all of the amazing talent in Kansas City. Incredible. It's exciting. Yeah. Love that. Uh, well, first the food, before we move on to talk to our guests, we're very excited to have here Sean Brady from Brady Public House in Conroy's. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are we doing this morning? Good. We want to talk about all of our fun places to eat in town. Uh, Jill, you found a new spot that you love. Yes, it's called Excellent Choice. And it is a soul food kitchen in Leavenworth. And it's been there for seven years. So I was very surprised when I did some research for a story that I'm doing for Flatland that I had never heard of them. So, of course, I had to get out there. And I met um, Earthel Bynum and her daughter-in-law, Rachel Minnis. Rachel is from England originally. Um, She did some culinary school. She ended up marrying Earthel's son, which brought her to Leavenworth. And Earthel had been a local celebrity. She's known as the Catfish Lady. The Catfish Lady. The Catfish Lady. Isn't that great? Um, And so she had been at several different places and people had followed her around and she had retired. And the girls got to talking and decided, let's do this again. So um, little, little, tiny, tiny square box of a kitchen. There's a foyer in the front. Everybody picks up their food, comes in and out. It's right across from the entrance of the Leavenworth Army Base. Okay. It's on 7th Street, 1007th, uh, 7th Avenue. Or is it Street? I think it's Street. What did you have? What was that? Why was it so good? Well, 
there's a picture of a catfish on the side of the building, right? A little cartoon catfish. So I had to have catfish. I had five golden dusted fillets. They were delicious. I had uh, yams and I had collard greens and chocolate layer cake. Oh. That was to die for. Sounds amazing. Yeah. And there's hugs galore at this place. I mean, it's just one of those places where everybody comes in and they look at me and they go, hi, what are you doing here? (laughs) Can we help you with your story? (laughs) And they just start talking. It's just a wonderful thing. And what's the name one more time? Excellent Choice. Excellent Choice in Leavenworth. Yes. Is an excellent choice. It's an excellent choice. You can find them um, on Instagram. I think they're Excellent C. Mm. And they're Excellent Choice Catfish on Facebook. Oh, that's awesome. That's fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. I highly recommend taking a trip to Leavenworth. Which is not that far. Uh, They're only open, I should say, Tuesdays through Fridays. Ah. Uh, So don't try it on the weekend. And also uh, pretty limited hours, 11 to 2 um, for lunch. Then they close between 2 and 4. And then they open again from 4 to 7.30. So don't be late. There you go. Plan your trip accordingly. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. All right, Sean, when you are not a part of Brady's and Conroy's, you're in the kitchen a lot, I'm sure. Where do you guys like to go eat, you and your family? Yeah, I know. Usually we're always trying to find somewhere new, somewhere different. That's kind of our kind of thing. Um, But we live out in uh, the Nexus. Others usually eat around there. There's a couple of really great places that we've been really enjoying, like Ignite Wood Fire Grill. Hmm. Has always been great. The kids, I will say, love it. They always enjoy it. Hmm. We go quite a bit out for sushi. My kids love Sakura. We call it the sushi train because of the little train that goes around the counter and you pick up the plates as you need it. Um, where else around there? Hayward's barbecue is always great. Hmm. And the fact that they actually moved a little bit closer to us just makes it even a, a little lot bit more closer. Yeah. And he says us because I am his neighbor. I live, <laughs> I live three doors away, though we never see each other. No, not, I'm not home that often. <laughs> I'm not either. So, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I, I look out across our yards because you can see across the yards and I see him maybe out there with his kids kicking a ball. I should go stand on my deck and yell out, hey, <laughs> but, I, but I don't. I'm like... Come it's on, it's his weekend. Come out, come out and shout at me. We'll crack open a bottle and make it more fun playing you, with the kids. You I love keep it. threatening to to come over with a bottle of wine, but I haven't seen it yet. We should See, do I'll that. I'll bring the Irish wine. That's called whiskey. <laughs> Perfect. You know I'm working on a story about whiskey and other fine Irish drinks, so here we go. I love it. And you were telling us um, your kiddos, one of your kids especially, loves trying new food. Yeah, well, we kind of have a little rule in our house is you have to try it, but you don't have to like it. So I'm always trying to get them to try new stuff and that. But my five-year-old daughter, little Mary, is she's eaten more stuff at the age of five than I have at the age of 40. She's so open to try everything and she really loves her food and loves trying new stuff. It's She's kind of one of those kids that you go out and it's like... You want chicken nuggets? She's like, no, I want a salmon salad. <laughs> I love like, it. How would you want your salmon? Medium rare, daddy. Wow. So it's definitely, it's really interesting to watch them eat and kind of watch them evolve as they eat and trying new stuff. And it's just, it's fun for me as a chef to kind of be able to go out and not be restricted to certain style of restaurants with kids that we can go to nicer places and sit there and enjoy our meal and the kids sit there and enjoy it too. I think Lindsay has a little one, so give her some tips. How do you, yeah. how do you how do you get a kid to 
stay adventurous. I think they're naturally adventurous, and at some point they they kind they of they do. I would say my older son Seamus, he's kind of he's at eight nine years old, and he's kind of changing a little bit. But every now and again, he surprised me. Like he decided the other day that musabi is his favorite thing now. So now he's putting musabi on everything, and it's kind of wow. Inter- yeah, it's interesting to watch him when he puts a little too much. <laughs> Does on Does that his make plate. you nervous? Like. <laughs> It, it, it's going to wear off. <laughs> That's kind of my thing. It's just kind of watch and see his reaction. So they're, they're taste buds, and I keep telling them that. Like, my taste buds, they all evolve and they change, and they're always going to keep changing. And I say, just because you didn't like it in the last restaurant we went to doesn't mean you're not going to like it here. So the rule is you have to try it. You don't have to like it. Hmm. So I kind of constantly keep them trying. Um, one of the things I used to always do when there were, small and even at this age when we go grocery shopping we always go into the produce section first and i would always say to them all right go pick out two things you can go anywhere in this grocery in the produce section and just pick out whatever you want i don't care what it is and let them off and they'll come on like my favorite is my daughter comes walking around the corner with a jackfruit jackfruit (laughs) yeah i'm like looking i'm going all right guess we're doing some vegetarian pulled pork tonight (laughs) so it's kind of like little things like my son comes around with with a coconut and something else i'm like all right we'll just put it in the cart we figure it out and then we go home we try new stuff and we're kind of put them interact with it and let them try it out so it's a great game yeah right instead of over the candy section you get to pick one thing at the candy section we're like no Fruit, vegetables, go yeah. pick out whatever you want, the craziest thing that you can find in here. Let's figure it out. I love that. It sounds a little bit like a game show for you, too. Like, what's yeah. the secret ingredient <laughs> going to be? There's, a, there's always a challenge involved. <laughs> Especially when you try it first, you're like, oh, this doesn't taste good. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you eat as a kid growing up? Were you that adventurous? No, I grew up in a small town in Tipperary in Ireland called Nina. Uh, my mom was the main cook and the main... Uh, food provider in the house. So I grew up in a house where everything was meat and vegetables, meat, Mm. potatoes and vegetables. And everything got the same gravy, bisto, granulated gravy got covered on everything. And kind of the joke in my house was it went in the oven and when it was black, it came back out. (laughs) My mom cremated everything and everything got mashed potatoes or some sort of potatoes and some sort of vegetables. So that's what I grew up with. And I don't think I even had sushi until I was 18, 19 years old and I'd moved out of home and I was living outside and trying new stuff because when I was growing up in that small town, that just wasn't available. Mm. Um, It was definitely your meat and vegetables, pasta, Italian pastas and curries in the Chinese restaurants, Indian food, but it wasn't very... My food horizons wasn't opened very a lot until I actually moved out of home. And what brought you to Kansas City? A woman. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is uh, originally from Wichita, and the story is she and her best friend in college, they went to KU, and they graduated, and her friend was like, well, she's Irish-American, and she was like, well, I'm going to go to Ireland for a year to travel and work. And my wife was like, well, I'm unemployed, I have no job not really planned to do so my wife's like I'll go along with you and her friend stayed for about 11 months and my wife stayed for about six years (laughs) (laughs) how did you guys meet she started working in a restaurant and a couple of weeks later I started working there and a couple of days ago we just celebrated our 15 year anniversary oh congratulations that's very cool we lived got married in Dublin lived in Dublin for a couple of years after we got married and then we moved to Chicago 
lived in Chicago for a few years, and we moved to Kansas about seven or eight years ago. Wow. And you came for the Ambassador Hotel, correct? We or? just came. No. Just to, we just moved to oh, move. Oh, okay. You just um, moved. We just decided that Chicago was a great place, and we had a great, great time, but our, my, our son was born, and... Just looking at quality of life and schools and stuff like that, we just decided that we wanted a little bit more of a home style, more family life. Um, my wife's family still live, live in Wichita, so we're like, pick kind of best of both worlds, and we kind of decided to go halfway between. So we picked Kansas City, and I ended up moving here and interviewed at the Ambassador Hotel, and was the only place I've interviewed and they offered me the job. I took over as a chef there for a few years and was the corporate chef. And then a couple of years ago, I was approached by Ray Dunlay, who's another Irish man from County Cork. And we've been talking and talking. We decided that we were going to, he had Mike's Tavern at 54 Troost on his books and he wanted to change it up. So we decided to close that down and turn it into Brady's Public House and do a true Irish bar. So I oversee that, and then I'm overseeing three Conroys as well. So I've got four Irish bars under my belt that I look after all the kitchens. This is a very Irish town, wouldn't you say? Did you find that to be true, or or was that just me I, moving here and saying, wow, a lot of Irish Americans? I kind of always Kansas knew there was, again, to say there's three and a half, maybe four million of us in the country of Ireland, <laughs> but... They reckon there's about 187 million of us worldwide. So you can't go anywhere in the world without <laughs> coming across us. We're everywhere. As you said, I've been lucky enough to travel quite a bit throughout Europe and Asia, and I've never been any more than a couple of hours away from an Irish bear. <laughs> there's always one somewhere. Um, but yeah, it really surprised me when I moved to Kansas City just how huge the Irish community is and how close-knit the Irish community is here in Kansas City. Mm. Like We've one of the biggest uh, Irish festivals here every year at Labor Day weekend, and it's huge and it's so much fun. Um, St. Patrick's Day parades here are always great and as always... But I don't know, I always find myself, I walk into a new bar and I sitting there having a drink next I can hear an Irish accent pop up somewhere behind me we're everywhere (laughs) (laughs) he says this as he's wearing his hat from Browns from Browns yeah one of the oldest uh, stores in the US and one of the greatest stores in the US as well but cost me a lot of money every time I go in there I (laughs) see everything that I miss from home and I buy five of everything I was going to ask you what's one of the things you miss from home that you get in there Um, I suppose I always go for the candy bars candy bars candy bars and the potato chips so are the candy bars really extraordinary? Tell me about so Irish you, candy you bars. Got, or you nostalgic. Got, right? Well, you got the Cadbury's chocolate here and you got Cadbury's chocolate in okay. Ireland and England and they're two totally different. Um, I kind of find the chocolate over here, not that it's bad, but and I never turn my nose up at it. It's a little grainy. It kind of tastes a little grainy where you get the Cadbury's and you buy a Cadbury's bar from here and a Cadbury's bar of chocolate from Europe. And the taste totally different huh. in the sense that the chocolate is just creamier. And I think it's down to the milk and the dairy that they use to use more dairy in it. Don't they, also, don't they formulate differently for different countries? I know like Coke products are done for different different yeah, taste always, palettes, they kind I of, guess. They're always changed up. Like The story I was told, and I could be wrong, is that basically the Cadbury's was two brothers and they split up and one went to Europe and he opened up the Mars company and basically was using the Cadbury's recipe. So I'm sure it kind of changed up. Um, so it's basically the same company, but they're 
two different identities, one in Europe, one in the U.S. But the Cadbury's you get at Brown's. Yeah, you pay a little bit more for it, but it's definitely worth it. Oh, now I want to have and a taste test, right? The <laughs> Absolutely. Ta- the tato, they're Tato Crisps, potato chips. Tato Crisps. Yeah. Which brand? They're just called Tato. They're called Tato Crisps. Yeah. Okay, got um, it. Which <laughs> I'm trying to get my hands on them, and I'm hoping to get some here before St. Patrick's Day. They've just come out with a bacon and cabbage flavor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so my brother actually just sent me a message about that from home, and he's like, hey, have you seen this? I'm like, no, but I need four cases sent tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Doritos, right? Yeah. So they're just a different style of potato chips. And again, being the Irish guy, we know how to treat our potato chips. And one of the best things to do with the potato, cheese, and onion is between two slices of bread and butter, and you put a whole bag of potato chips in there, and you have a chip sandwich. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was highlight of growing up and going to school when you opened up your lunchbox and you saw just two plain slices of white bread with buttered and a bag of potato chips. You were the king of the schoolyard that day. Oh. <laughs> Did you do any trading or no? You wouldn't oh, trade you wouldn't for that. Trade Is there that, anything no. you trade there, for There'd that? be a fist fight for that one. <laughs> no, you sit in a corner with your back to everybody else and enjoyed your tato sandwich. <laughs> and how often did this happen? Was this a special occasion, like a birthday thing? Not really. It was kind of, again, I wouldn't say a special occasion. It was more of an occasion that there wasn't probably too much money in the house. And that was the cheapest thing to put into a lunchbox. But it was... In my eyes, probably the best thing I could ever get in my lunchbox. So how did you go from tater sandwiches to uh, being a chef? What what kind, what does that path look like? Where did you start I don't know, I was, getting interested? I kind of, my sister always says I was that weird kid growing up. That I even see it in my own son who's at that age, and he was like, what do you want to be? He's like, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. People had asked me what I wanted to be. I was like, I want to be a chef. You knew that. That's all I've ever wanted to do in my entire life. And I wish I could say that I had different plans and I went to college to do different things and I decided or got a job in the kitchen and that's where I ended up. But I, at the age of 12, got my first job in the kitchen where I decided this is what I want to do and there was nobody going to stand in my way. My mom was not very keen on me being a chef at the time because we had some family friends that were chefs and at the time... Chefs weren't put up in the pedestal that we are at now where you got the Gordon Ramsays and the rock star chefs of the world. Chefs were known as the pirates of the kitchen and the alcoholics. And <laughs> that's kind of the fear my mom had was that there would be too much drinking and partying in the kitchen, which there probably was a little bit too much throughout my time. But I was just very dedicated and wanted to do it. So... I can remember walking down to the one and only hotel in my hometown and walking into the walking up to the back door where the kitchen was and knocking at the door as a twelve year old kid and going, I want a job and they're just laugh at me. I'm like, go back to school. I'm like, all right. Next day I came back down, knocked at the door again, and I just kept doing it and doing it. And one day they opened the door a little too much. And I could see some bags of onions and carrots and stuff in the back and I just looked at the guy and says, I'll peel those for free. Just just let me in. So every day I used to show up after school in my school uniform, knock on the back door and just say, just just put a bucket in the corner, turned it upside down. I'd sit there and peel vegetables all day. And I ended up being one of the youngest line cooks that ever started or ever worked there. By the age of 13, 14, I was working the line. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you learned a lot very quickly then. Yeah, I kind of moved out of home when I was pretty young, around the age of 15, 16. I moved to Dublin started working in restaurants and went to culinary school there and 
I was one of the youngest executive chefs. I was the youngest executive chef to ever graduate from my culinary program and one of the only chefs to graduate as an executive chef as well. And voted top 20 young chefs in the country by the age of 19. Um, featured food and wine and just... I've, I was lucky the doors opened for me as I went along, but I kind of say I, I put in the work. I worked seven days a week for... And I'm still doing six, seven days a week. Hmm. It's kind of one of those jobs. It's not a job, it's a lifestyle. Hmm. It's, it's so true. Featured in food and wine? Featured, I got a feature in food and wine in the European Irish edition when I was about 19 years old. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So, Congratulations. Been lucky, but I've definitely worked. And as I said, I've kind of kept my eyes open to the kitchen and kitchens. I never decided I wanted to be one aspect of the kitchen. I wanted to do it all. And I've done everything from dive bars to Michelin star restaurants. Mm. And it's been fun. But when you're really established in in a country, right? And you're 19, you're, you're, you're a star, you're a rising star. What did that feel like? Were you nervous about coming to the United States? And I Kind of, yes and no. Yeah. I was kind of, I was always a very independent person. And kind of, as I said, I moved out of home when I was young and was living by myself from the age of 16 and stuff like that. I was working in Dublin and kind of what I used to do was I'd work really hard and work two and three jobs, save up as much money as I could, get some money in the bank, and then I would quit all my jobs and disappear for six months and go travel throughout Europe or buy a one-way ticket, go somewhere and just travel until my money ran out and then turn back home, knock on my mom's door and say, can I borrow a couple of hundred bucks and start all over again. So I was kind of looking then. I met my wife who was a big traveler and had traveled quite a bit and we decided that we wanted to travel as well and she was definitely a guiding force in my life that was kind of like well we can do whatever we want we got no restrictions let's just do it and we're lucky we traveled for quite a bit and we just bought one-way plane tickets and we decided as when we got off the plane how long we were going to spend where we were and if we liked it we'd stay there a little longer if we didn't mm. we got out of there and went somewhere else so tell us some of the places you went to. What's the most exciting or exotic or strange place? You uh, I suppose my favorite place, uh, again, I wish I never left, but I had to. Uh, I love Thailand. Mm. Thailand was just spectacular. The food there is amazing. Um, some of the best food I've ever had in my life. And I've again, I've, eat, I've been lucky enough to eat in some of the top restaurants throughout the country and throughout the world. Um, was street cart pad thai. And I still think back on it 17, 18 years ago, and I still have vivid memories of it, and I still wish I could get that again. Um, I suppose I would always say Thailand, the food there just opened up my eyes just to so much more, and I met some really nice people and got to invited to people's houses where they did family dinners and got to enjoy that, where you're always going to see one aspect of your restaurant scene when you go to a new city or a new country and restaurants are always going to be that little bit different. But when you actually invite into somebody's house and you're eating what they're eating, it's so much different. Hmm. Um, so again, I will always say Thailand had a great, great time. Um, Europe, bouncing around Europe was always great. Ended up in Greece for quite a bit. Hmm. Um, Greek food is kind of pretty similar to the Irish kind of cuisine. It's definitely a lot more heavier food and stuff, especially with your moussakas and stuff like that. But 
again, I've always just been open to trying new stuff. And as I say, I will always try something. I see one of the things about traveling is you see a lot of police cars or taxi cabs parked outside a restaurant. That's the first place you go to. Hmm. And that's always what I'd go. And I would get into a cab and I would go, we want to go to eat. And he's like, well, I'll take you there, there. I go, no, I want to go where you eat. Where do you go to eat? And that's always a fun thing to do. It's find out where they, where they're eating and what kind of food they want um, to actually see what places are all about. But sometimes they don't want to take you because they really think that you're not serious about eating anything. They think you're a tourist. Did you have to argue with some cab drivers or a couple of times and then there was other times arguing in restaurants <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose one of my favorites is there's a I'm not sure if they're even still there anymore but there used to be some great Chinese restaurants in Chicago called Lao Sashuan and they had three or four around um, but they had their regular menu and then they had their Chinese menu and I heard about their Chinese menu and we went in there one time and there's me and my wife um another couple and my brother and his girlfriend and my brother's just straight off the plane from Ireland the other couple he was a chef as well so me and him were pretty adventurous so we're like we want a Chinese menu so we're trying to order stuff and it ended up that was like an argument with the server the server's just shouting us no you don't like it's going to be too stinky (laughs) we're trying to order intestines and different kind of things and we're like so in the end, I just take out money out of my wallet and I just hand it to him. I'm like, here, I'll pay for it now. I'm not going to order it and then complain that I don't like it. I want it. Mm-hmm. If we don't like it, we're still paying for it. We want to try all of this. By the end of it, I think we had about seven or eight extra dishes were being brought out of the kitchen because they were just so, I don't know, in awe or maybe just in shock that there was these three white guys sitting there just going to town and all of this, and they just kind of kept wanting to push the boundaries and see how far they could take us to try it. But I've always been, if the locals eat it, I'm willing to try it. How does that influence your cooking? All the places you've been, all the food you've eaten? Um, Again, it kind of opens up my cookbook a little bit more that I've got a little bit more experience that even though I'm an Irish guy and grow up on potatoes and vegetables, I feel like I'm pretty well-rounded in different aspects of world cuisine, um, trying out and being able to cook different things. Because that was another thing I did when I was traveling is I'd go into a restaurant or go somewhere and eat something and really enjoy it. The next day I'd turn up and knock on the back door of the kitchen and go, nine out of ten times, I didn't speak the language, they didn't speak English, so it was kind of like me working here today for free (laughs) and just push my way into kitchens and show up for a day and just be as much help or as much of a nuisance as I could be in their kitchens (laughs) and just kind of watching what was going on. Um, I was lucky enough that there was quite a few I don't even think to realize I was doing what I was doing until after I'd left. (laughs) (laughs) So Irish food, let's talk about what, what is Irish food? People have an image in their mind. What's right? What's wrong? Well, Irish food is always going to be kind of uh, your comfort food. And it's peasant food, like our traditional Irish food, like our cottage pies, shepherd's pies, beef stews, lamb stews. They all kind of come back to the time of when the English had taken over Ireland and we were basically tenants on our own land and we were working for the British. And people were working in the houses, the main houses, and they were cooking the food for the owners and stuff like that. And then the leftover of the roast from the night before 
they were giving those to the staff and to the people who worked there. So they were always trying to find ways to stretch that out, the leftover, the roast beef from the night before. How can we make this feed 20 people when it should only feed five? So it was chopped up and cooked and made into stews and cottage pies and shepherd's pies and things like that. So um, a lot of the Irish food was basically built around or designed around kind of it was one meal a day. You kind of had one major big meal and that was kind of it. So you kind of got all your calories in in one meal. So if you look at like, again, your cottage pie and shepherd's pie, it's you got your either your ground beef, your lamb, all your vegetables topped with your mashed potatoes. And then that Dense, was it. delightful. Yeah. yeah, especially on a day like today. No kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> Comforting. So it's, it's, yeah. all, it's all about comfort. Yeah. And, uh, it's kind of definitely when you sit down and have an Irish meal, it's you're not getting up off the table straight away. You're going to have to sit there and relax for about 10 minutes afterwards just to... Drink a little bit. Drink a little bit, get another whiskey in you before you're able to get up and move around. Talk a little bit about your menu, though, because there's some, I think, some kind of unexpected things there. Um, When you say pub, I guess I'm thinking, oh, yeah, there might be a burger, there'll be some beer, there'll be some whiskey, but you have a lot more than that. You have, obviously, cottage pie, and but... Talk about some of the things that are on that menu that so over, make it Irish. Over at Brady's, like with Brady's, the way we decided to do it was um, when I talked to Ray uh, Donnay and Ryan Rafferty, who heads up the bar, we're like, well, what do we miss from home? What do we, when we walk into an Irish bar, what are we disappointed that we can't get? Or what are we disappointed when we get it that it's not what we are expecting? So we did definitely we designed uh, Brady's menu around food that we miss from home and keeping it as traditional Irish as we possibly could be. Um, like we have our like our appetizers, we got our homemade sausage rolls, which is a ground pork that we season up and we stuff in a puff pastry, and then we bake those off and we serve it with straight up Heinz ketchup because that's what you got at home. Uh, we have our curry spiced fries, so we take our house cut fries and we dust them in a curry spice. And we serve it with a curry lime aioli. Oh. Um, Delicious. That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Again, being a coastal country where we're surrounded by water, pretty heavy on the seafood, we have our, we have two different types of mussels on our menu. We have a mussel appetizer, traditional a creamy garlic white wine sauce. And then you have your entree that we serve. It's uh, steamed in Guinness, uh, mushrooms, and a cream sauce as well. So you get them both ways. Fish and chips. I don't Let's think talk you... about the fish and chips. <laughs> I mean, come on. I know. The last time we talked about the fish and chips was uh, a little crazy for us for a couple of weeks after that. <laughs> um, so we have, I'm, I'm going to say what everybody else says, we've probably one of the best fish and chips in the state, if not the country. We hand cut our cod. We use fresh cod, never frozen. Generally, most of my cod's coming out of the Barents Sea in Alaska, um, sometimes the Atlantic Sea, but I try and get my cod from the coldest possible waters that we can. And then we do a beer batter. So we dust it in flour and we dip it in beer batter and we fry it to order. We do probably around a seven to eight ounce cut on the cod. And it's served with a house-made coleslaw, hand-cut fries, uh, homemade tartar sauce, and what we call mushy peas. Mushy peas are basically it's like an English frozen pea that we blend up with some heavy cream, some sea salt and butter. And we serve those. And it's, again, you can't get a fish and chips in Ireland without being served with mushy peas. And then they're not, the name is a little bit misleading, I think. Yeah. They are mushed, but they're not, 
they're still beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of one of those. It's you either love them or you hate them. Hmm. So uh, we either see them come back not touched or else people are ordering extra sides. <laughs> uh, interesting. So this is some of the best fish and chips I've ever had. Uh, just, yeah, when I think of fish and chips, this is what it should be. And like people have a perception that fish and chips is kind of greasy and stuff like that. But again, beer batters, you use a beer batter in it. It's basically the beer will seal the batter into it and your fish is going to steam from the outside. It's going to steam from the inside out. So you get that nice crispy, but you should still get a nice soft fish in the middle. And it shouldn't be greasy at all because the with your temperature, your fryer oil and the batter, it should crisp up on the outside real fast. The oil shouldn't penetrate it. And what's happening is the steam then from the water and that's in the fish is actually cooking from the inside out. Um, and beer batter is meant to be probably one of the most, a healthier batter than most batters just because of that reason. It stops the oil from penetrating the batter. But you have to know what you're doing, obviously. Practice. Practice, <laughs> exactly. Because not all... Not all fried food is created equal. No, for sure. <laughs> you also have a curry that you did for restaurant week. I don't recall yeah. if that's on the regular menu. It's I- not. It's If you're looking for a curry, you're definitely going to have to check out our other locations, the Conroy's. Uh, we have it on the menu over there. But for restaurant week, I decided we did a lot of people asking me to make a curry. Um, again, you think of Irish cuisine, you're not going to really think of curries, but we are definitely known for our curries and we really do enjoy it. So... It's kind of like a Madras Indian-style curry. A um, little bit of coconut, cream in there, um, pineapple juice. But it's not a very, very spicy curry. But we did that for Restaurant Week, which was probably one of our biggest sellers in the end. Is that a mix of the curries you said you ate growing up or and traveling? That would be more traditional to Ireland um, as opposed to the curries that I had when I was traveling. Yeah. Definitely kind of that recipe that I used was definitely one, it was one I picked up when I was living in London and there was this real uh, local Indian restaurant I used to go to quite often and from going in there quite a bit got talking to them and they actually gave me the recipe and it's pretty similar to that recipe that I use. You have not been afraid to I love all the stories of all the restaurants you've been to and you'd go to the people and talk and work I, in the kitchen and Again people think especially when you see an open kitchen um, chefs are kind of we're stuck in the back room quite a bit we don't get out we're not generally allowed out into the public for more than one reasons because of our colourful languages and stuff that we <laughs> say and do in our kitchens but at Brady's we have an open kitchen and one of the highlights for us is when people come up and ask us hmm. um, people come up and ask me for recipes and I will always share recipes I'm like I, really? didn't, I didn't invent this <clears throat> I might have adjusted it. I'm not a scoffy. I didn't come up with all of these ones. But from years of working in restaurants and traveling, I've picked up recipes. I've adjusted them to suit myself. And I'm more than happy to share them to with other people and let them keep it going. What's the recipe people ask you for the most? My grandmother's scones. Oh. Yes, we need to talk about these. Yeah, my grandmother's scones is probably one of the recipes I've given out more than anything in my life. And it's the only recipe I've never changed in my life. Hmm. So, yeah. Describe describe the scones for us. They're just really, they're thick, they're delicious, they're... So we do kind of like more of a round scone as opposed yeah. to kind of, it's, it looks more kind of like a biscuit than your triangle-shaped scone that you get here. Um, they're going to be fluffier. We use kind of all-purpose flour, 
baking soda, a little salt, uh, orange zest, uh, raisins, mm. butter, buttermilk, and eggs. Um, one of the things I do with the scones is I rehydrate the raisins. I soak them in a little apple juice and orange juice just to kind of plump them up to stop. Because I find scones can be very dry. Um, and I think especially when you're adding dry fruit to a flour, um, it's basically taking all that moisture out and it's going into the fruit. So your flour, your biscuit is going to be drier where the fruit's going to be not so much. So that's kind of one of the things I do with the scones. And then we make a homemade mixed berry jam, which we use strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, a little bit of orange, vanilla and sugar. Um, and we just cook that down and we serve it with a vanilla bean whipped cream as well. I know you've had them a few times, Jill. A few times. more. I have a friend who gets them continually. She works on Troost, like a couple doors away. She will bring them home. So I've had them even more than you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have one lady, and I will say she's probably my favorite customer in the world. Um, she has one scone every morning for breakfast, and she spends probably about 40% of her time traveling the world uh, with work. So... She comes in and she buys them by the dozen and takes them off with her. And I'm like, just send me a picture. <laughs> Traveling scones. Traveling scones. So I have a picture of her standing by the Eiffel Tower. Oh. Scone. <laughs> I have her picture all around Colorado, up in the Rocky Mountains, holding my scones. That's amazing. Um, Better than a gnome, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, um, I have her where she took my scones back to Dublin. And she's standing at St. James's Gate in Dublin at the Guinness factory holding my scones. I was like, well, that's a long way from my scone to from where it came from to where I met it to actually go back to where it came from. Oh, that's awesome. How does she keep them fresh when she travels? I'm curious. I think what she does, she buys them by the dozen. She wraps them and freezes them mm-hmm. and then travels with them that way. Okay. Um, but How long has she been doing this? She's been doing it now for probably the last two and a half years. Wow, that's so fun. Yeah. Pretty close to when you opened, huh? Yeah. I've been seeing her since basically since we opened and she's tried the scones and as I said, she's been taking them all around the world with her. Is she Irish? No. No, she's, she just she's loves from, scones. from here from Kansas City. Just knows yeah. a good scone. Loves our scones, so she's my biggest advertisement when it comes to our scones. You said that's it was incredible. It really is. That's I need to see some of these pictures. Maybe would you let us post them on our Instagram? We'll I'll just to have to ask her for her permission to <laughs> see them, please. <laughs> yeah. That'd be so fun. You said it's your grandma's recipe. Do you have great memories of your grandma making these for you? Yeah, it was kind of my grandmother was probably the one person in my family that did say to me, "You should do what you want to do." Um, definitely, probably in a little bit more colorful language, like my grandmother used to use, but. She grew up and she lived out in the country. Um, she had a wood fire stove that everything went, that's how everything was baked. Um, there was no mixers in her house. So when you were making the scones, it was standing on a chair by the table in a big mixing bowl by your hands. And for some bizarre reason, I still make them by hand. I've refused to do them in a mixer. And there's times when I have to make four, five, six hundred of them. And I will still stand there and make them by hand instead of oh my doing gosh. them quick in a mixer. Because I find I've tried them in a mixer. It's a different product hmm. that comes out because if you... Does it make them dry? They kind of come a little rubbery, I suppose is the word. Because if you overmix them, you're going to release more gluten in the flour and it kind of become a little bit stretchier. And I think just by hand... You're not overcutting the butter into them, so you're going to get bigger flakes of butter going through the scones, so that gives you more of a buttery scone. Um, again, it's 
the way I was shown how to make them is the way she showed me how to make them and it's kind of that one recipe that's very, very close to my heart and I just don't like messing around with it. Mm. So, Did I've the sh- wheat change at all when you came here? I mean, because gluten content's different from it country def- to country. It definitely has changed. So I did mean, you have to adjust the recipe adjust and the, start all over? And- just a little bit more mm. with the liquid that I'm adding to it and yeah. a little bit more baking soda from, what I, from the recipe I was given at home. That's interesting. Did you notice that immediately? Well, I, I, yeah, again, you'll notice the difference in making scones month by month. Mm. Like it does change. It's just the moisture in the air, your flour. Flour, again, our recipe and the recipe I have for that I give out, it says cups, which I'm not a big fan of using cup measurements when it comes to flour because a cup of flour today and a cup of flour tomorrow are going to weigh two different weights because oh. of the moisture in the air. And it absorbs it, will, it? It absorbs the moisture and... The more moisture in the air, the wetter your flour, the drier it's out, the drier your flour is. Wow. I know it kind of sounds weird, but it definitely no, does. I, it totally kind of affects, it. affects the way you bake. So do you use a scale? I, or do you eyeball it? Nine out of ten times. I, I have the recipe that I use, but then I'll always keep an extra thing of flour beside me. Sometimes it needs more, sometimes it needs less. So, so. you're really by feel. Yeah. And training, I'm I'm supposing. Of 30 years of making them. <laughs> so I'm the annoying food editor that asks for cups because, you know, we never got on the metric system here. Yeah. So it makes more sense to weigh your flour for sure, but nobody does. So yeah. again, the recipe we have, it's you can definitely do it with the cups. Um, as I say, you just want to keep a little extra buttermilk. Don't put all your liquid in at once. Add a little bit, add a little bit more. You can always add more. You can't take it out. Hmm. And then just keep a little extra flour. You might have to add a little bit more flour into it if it mixes too wet. So that's another ingredient that's different, though, too, is buttermilk. It's not the same here. It's highly processed and homogenized. Do you find some that's not, or do you use that and accommodate for it? I use it, but I add more butter and a little bit more egg yolks. Um, I find the buttermilk here is just not as rich. Um, It seems to be a little bit less fat content in it. Um, so I definitely add a little bit more butter to my scones from the recipe that I had and um, a couple of more extra egg yolks just for the richness. We like skinny buttermilk in the U.S., sorry. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> crazy. Um, tell me a little bit about the um, uh, creme brulee that you had. Is that on your regular menu? Or yeah, was that... on our, so yeah. all our desserts are made in-house from scratch, and we do a Five Farms creme brulee. And if you're not... Yeah. If you don't know about Five Farms, Five Farms is kind of like Bailey's. Um, I always swore by Bailey's. Bailey's was the one and only true Irish cream liqueur that was out there. Um, being an Irish guy, there was always a bottle of it in my fridge, always there. But a couple of years ago, I was introduced to Five Farms Irish cream, and it's coming out. From Weston? It's coming out of County Cork in Ireland. But they uh, Holiday. distribute it. Holiday, Holiday distributes yeah. it. Um, I think the first time I tried it actually was over at Brown's uh, Market. Yeah. They were one of the first ones. So, And I tried it and fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. It is unbelievably good. Um, but we decided to turn it into a dessert. So we do a five farms creme brulee. Oh, my. So you got that Irish cream creme brulee. Um, I know you've had it a few times. I've had five farms and it's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. In fact, I was at Harvester's Forks and Corks. My husband found them. They were kind of in a corner and he's yelling at you've got to come over here and try this. Um, And then I had it with Sean's dessert, which was amazing. And when I posted on Instagram, people went 
nuts mm-hmm. over that. I yeah. mean, you, you can just look at that picture and you can taste the creaminess and the deliciousness. Yeah, I think creme brulee is kind of one of those desserts that it's an old school dessert, but when it's done right, it's it's one of the best things to eat. And I think that's the key, done right, because yeah. it's often done wrong in terms of that. There's no shatter there on the It's all about sugar, that. you know. That's why it's called creme brulee, burnt cream. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> mm. So talk a little bit about uh, let's, the interior of your location. It might not be what everyone expects after all the talk of the food, I think. Kind of when you drive up to Brady's, uh, you might be a little taken back by just kind of the way outside is and stuff like that. But we kind of did that on purpose and we kept the outside kind of looking a little rustic. But when you walk in, we want you to walk in and feel like that you're in Ireland um, to the fact that chances are you'll hear uh, Ryan Rafferty behind a bar. You'll hear me in the kitchen. You'll hear an Irish accent going in there. Um, as we said, and Ray, Ray Dunlay and his wife Molly are two of the greatest people in the world when it comes to decorating and designing bars. Like Dave, Molly has just got a great, great eye. And we kind of decided with Brady's was, if we were going to do this in Ireland, how will we do it? And that's what we did. Um, we got some great artwork up in the wall of things, pictures and old signs. Um, we've definitely personalized it quite a bit there's you walk around you're going to see pictures on the wall of my family home where i grew up you'll see pictures of ray's family home where he grew up and his family's pictures are on the wall um kind of in the dining room it's kind of a shout out to me and where i've been um one side is kind of like chicago where you'll see goose island signs um you're going to see lots of signs there's pictures of different doors of houses in dublin that we thought were cool, we put them up there. The other side of the wall, there's kind of a mural of the downtown Kansas City. Um, so yeah, we kind of kept it true and that. And then you look at behind the bar, we've got the biggest Irish whiskey selection of any bar in the US. Um, wow. We don't have the biggest whiskey selection, but we definitely have the biggest Irish whiskey. How many? We are well over 90 bottles at the moment. Whoa. So we have <laughs> everything from $6 up to $70. Do you have um, a favorite? I do, and it kind of changes every now and again, but my favorite, and it's been for quite a while, is uh, Slane. Mm. Slane's a triple cast whiskey. It's finished in sherry, so it's kind of a sweeter whiskey. It's it's a really good sipping whiskey, and for the price point, it's probably one of the best whiskeys I feel on our shelf. But you ask Ryan, who heads up the bar, he'll tell you probably Powers John Lane is his favorite. Um, so it's... It, it's we kind all, of personal. It's, it's definitely personal, especially yeah. with whiskeys. It's like whiskeys, bourbons, uh, scotches. It's, um, people have their staples and they have their wand. It's always going to be there to go. But as we say, you're, you can come to Brady's and if we don't have it, it's probably not worth drinking. Hmm. What about local um, distilling? Do you have any of that? We, we have quite a bit. We have uh, Rest of Spirits up there. Uh, we just uh, talked to Benet on the podcast. Spectacular woman. Um, <laughs> definitely fan of her Stonebreaker whiskey. We actually, we use her Stonebreaker whiskey cooking as well. Um, I do an Irish whiskey cured salmon and I use her Stonebreaker whiskey. And we cure the salmon into Stonebreaker whiskey. So it's kind of like a gravel axe. Instead of vodka, we use whiskey being the Irish people that we are. Um, but yeah, her Sons of Aaron, we have the F- Son of Aaron 15, we have their Duffy Vodka, their Gin, and their Cinnamon Stonebreaker as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have we have if Stone or if Rest of Spirits have it released, we have it on our shelves, and we got some of the uh, Rieger's whiskey as well. Um, so yeah, we we're definitely about our local whiskeys as well. And what about beers? Beers, quite a bit of it. We got some Boulevards. We got some Goose Islands because obviously when I lived in Chicago, I fell in love with the Goose Island beer. <laughs> Uh, but we got some great boulevards. Then we have your Irish staples of Guinness, Smittics, Magners, and Murphy's. Um, we're probably one of the few bars between Brady's and Conroy's that have the four staple Irish on tap. And having Murphy's is not very common throughout the U.S. But if you ever had a pint of Murphy's, it's it's a good drink. So between for people who don't know, explain the differences between. Brady's and Conroy's. So we'll say Brady's is your Irish bar and Conroy's mm-hmm. is your Irish American bar. Um, uh-huh. So Brady's menu is going to be definitely a little bit more truer to Ireland, a little bit more traditional, uh, where Conroy's is kind of has your Irish American, has definitely uh, get your chicken wings and nachos, but you can also have your cottage pie and your fish and chips or fisherman pie, sausage rolls. So it's kind of a much bigger menu at Conroy's. Um, and it's a good mix between Irish and America, and American. So when you're not at all these different restaurants, which I'm sure takes a lot of time, what do you do for fun? Sleep. <laughs> 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 but not as much. Uh, again, it's uh, if I'm not at work, I try and race home as quick as I can to be with my wife and kids. Um, try and quit my job and the hours I put in. It's definitely every moment I can get at home with my with my kids, it's yeah. it's precious. Um, do you guys do since obviously restaurant is a night uh, yeah. job? Do you do breakfast together a lot, or they do breakfast more to me? I'm not really a breakfast person. I've never been that kind of morning eating person. But me neither. Um, again, our kind of family thing is we we all evolve around food. We're all very much into our food, my wife and kids. So it's kind of. What are we going to eat and where are we going to go to eat? It seems to be our biggest arguments in our house. <laughs> um, and then we're always trying to try and find that new place because mm-hmm. it's kind of a challenge. My son is getting really into it lately where it's like we drive by, Dad, that's new. We have to try it. <laughs> and we'll go on and we'll look at what people are saying. And I'm like, buddy, I'm not really sure where we should try it. And he he's, has turned it back on me. He's like, Dad should try it. We don't have to like it. But we should definitely try it. I'm I like, love right, it. Can't argue with that. So if he says it to me, I can't say it back to him and expect him to do it. So, yeah, we're always looking for that new place. We had to start keeping a list because we'd think of a place when we weren't going out to eat. And then when we were going out to eat, we was like, what was that? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it's just, again, we're kind of a food family. We're always, we're always trying to fill our bellies. Love it. That's fun. So I know that you play soccer in the yard with the kids. Are you a soccer fan or a football fan, I should say? Yes, I'm a very, very big soccer fan. Grew up with it. Um, huge sporting fan at the moment. Been mm. following them since I moved here. And love, love sporting stadium out there. I think it's, of all the soccer stadiums I've been to in the world, I will definitely rank sporting stadium up there in the top 10 stadiums in the world. It is a great, great place. And the fact that I can leave my house and be there in 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, my son is a big soccer fan as well. So I kind of put him in on my side and kind of trained him to, <laughs> Dad, sporting or playing tonight, we should go. All right, let's do it. So we go out to sporting. We see, we go out to soccer games at least you know, 10 to 12 times a year if we can. 
There's no bad seat in that place. No, there's not. Uh, it's a great, great stadium. It, and it really is. Even being the food person we are, it's not a bad place to eat out there either. It's I was going to ask you, where do you eat when you go there? <laughs> I can't believe, I think I've tried. It changes up a lot. Yeah, but. I try everything and anything out there and kind of when I'm thinking about going to stadiums and going and eating the food, I'm like, usually it's all right, let's go eat before we go. <laughs> but there's definitely times when I've been out at the stadium where we've been hungry and uh, it's actually not that bad of food out there for what they're serving, what you're getting. So, yeah. but yeah, it's definitely, I'll recommend it to anybody. You need to check out a game. I think we got a huge following for the Royals and for the Chiefs. I think people need to rally behind sporting a little bit more and get out there because it's, it's great. I agree because they've also won championships. I was say, were you here in 2013 when they I won have. the I have. I've been, as I was talking with Sunder a couple of days ago, we've been lucky enough since we've moved here. Yeah. Uh, sporting have won. Chiefs have won and the Royals have won. So <laughs> every a major great team, decade. So. You're, you're our good luck charm then. Yeah, uh, maybe my son, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I stood out there for the, were you at the championship game? You didn't live, did you live here then? Yeah, I was here. Um, 2013? Yeah, we Talk were here for that. Talk about cold. Oh yeah. my gosh. I think one of, the, one of the first things I did when I was the chef at the Ambassador Hotel, one of the first big events was we did the MLS All-Stars event after oh, wow. the game. That's wow. cool. So after the MLS, they had an All-Star game. It was Roma versus basically the best players in the U.S. And it was played out sporting. And afterwards at the Ambassador Hotel, they had a big after party. So we basically closed down the hotel and did that. So that was like my first big event. I was like, right, the city is cool. <laughs> Quite the stick, introduction, right? Yeah, I guess I'll stick, it around, stick around here. What are you going to do if we get a World Cup game? Uh, <laughs> def- definitely be taking the day off. <laughs> <laughs> be huge, absolutely. So, what do you um, what do you want to get to in Kansas City that you haven't been able to? Again, kind of when I was downtown working downtown, there was I was eating and going out an awful lot more down there. Now the fact that I'm kind of over on Truce or out in Leewood or kind of descended the city that. I definitely need to get downtown more because every time I open up my phone and look what's going on, there's new places opening up, there's new things going on down there. Um, but again, the food scene in the city seems to be changing on a daily, weekly basis. The, some places are opening and some places are closing. There's new places coming and going. So there's always the options to go out and eat in the city is are unbelievable and there's some great local family-owned places out there that are just knock your socks off when you go in there. But um, off the top of my head, definitely down to Corvino's is definitely one place. I've been down there right after they opened, um, but I haven't been down there a very long time. Uh, Black Sheep, another great place down there. I want to get back down there and check that out again. Um, again, they're right round when it opened, but I haven't been there in a while. Um Again, anybody has any suggestions, text me, let me know because Absolutely. people get out an awful lot more than me and when they do get out, I want to find out where they're going so I can get check it out and yeah. when I have a night off. Make every trip worth it, right? That's it. Yeah. What will you be doing on St. Patrick's Day? Slicing corned beef till it comes out my ears. <laughs> <laughs> no annoyance there, right? There's going to be, yeah. Uh, we'll probably end up buying out every piece of corned beef that boils uh, produce here in Kansas City and we'll be up to our eyeballs in corned beef. I'll 
be down at Brady's probably around five o'clock in the morning getting ready on St. Patrick's Day because Saturday we'll have the Brookside Parade before that yeah. I believe on the Saturday so we'll have a crazy one that Saturday and then people come before or after the parade you're not too far we'll have them before after and during <laughs> <laughs> and but maybe this year it won't snow you never know it didn't stop them last year so um, so yeah we'll have kind of basically at Brady's we'll have two big days of St. Patrick we'll have it the Saturday before and we'll have it on the Tuesday of the day of uh, but yeah, I'll definitely, those days, lots of corned beef and there'll be beer batter everywhere from doing our fish and chips. And is this a, a holiday you welcome because at least uh, we get into it here in the U.S.? Or is this one that you're like, oh, I wish I wish they'd pick a different Irish holiday to celebrate? <laughs> well, it's kind of, it's it's interesting to see kind of growing up with St. Patrick's Day and always being parades and seeing it and... It's definitely a fun day back home and all that. But when I came over here and when I first moved here and living in Chicago and seeing what goes on there, I was just like, what's going on? This is just nuts. All that green beer and stuff? Yeah. Um, like my favorite was my first year in Chicago, St. Patrick's Day. I was in a bar and a friend of mine comes up and he goes, hey, Sean, here you go. Here's a beer and hands me this green thing. I'm like, what is this? And he's like, it's a green beer. I'm like, yeah, I'm not drinking that. <laughs> Give me a pint of Guinness, <laughs> please. Um, yeah, there's just something about that green beer. I've taken one sip and I'm done with it. I'm glad to say you're not going to get a pint of green beer at Brady's. The closest you might get if uh, Budweiser come out with a nice aluminum can that's green, we'll have those <laughs> that you can have that. That could be as close to your green beer. But the atmosphere and the fun is always great. Um, there's definitely, I think, you definitely know how to celebrate it here in this country. And I definitely think the Irish know how to embrace the celebration over here as well. And we've kind of, we've helped egg it on a little bit. What are the four staples you have on tap again at Brady's? Guinness, Smittics, Magners, and Murphy's. Mm. Are you ready? I I am ready. We live in Brookside, so we love the Saturday parade. It's so fun. Yeah. uh, Usually we have, we're part of some of the floats down there. We've been lucky enough uh, the Irish Centre and places like that they do floats like last year one of the floats was yeah. they took a whole picture of Brady's Bar and that was the float going down oh yeah um, that's awesome so yeah we have definitely people around that are doing floats that kind of embrace Brady's and they take it out there and then they bring the crowd up and we'll have Kevin Regan and his bagpipes will be coming through Brady's and through the Conroy's throughout the day playing bagpipes as well awesome so we'll have we'll definitely be having a lot of fun Beers will be, pour, be poured nice and cold. Well, on that note, we know where we're going to be, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Sean. Well, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. We'll see you next time on Chew Diligence. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.